When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This story happened a few months ago. At that time, I had moved out of my house for a professional reason, but I had to wait a couple of months before moving into my next house. To spend this time span, and since I can work from anywhere, I rented my very close friend Amy's holiday family house, which is otherwise empty, located in a village I grew up in the countryside. I know this family and their house very well, since I'm a small child. The house is rather large. It has two floors and five bedrooms. It is located in a quiet or even remote area of the village, only surrounded by forest and other empty holiday houses, while planning this, I was aware this setting could be scary being a single 27 female, but I hate to restrain myself in life because of unjustified fears, so I instead took a few measures to feel more safe. Before moving in, I had planned to go on a complete checkup of all the doors and windows. Once done, I would look into every room, under every bed, and inside all the wardrobes, this way, I could be certain that the house was perfectly empty at that moment and would stay so, as I will be very careful with closing doors, and I knew there were no spare keys, so that when at night I would be scared, I could reason with myself and know that it is only in my head. I was accompanied by my mother to proceed to the checkup, as she lives close by. We faced a problem rather quickly while verifying doors and windows, two glass doors from the patio, were malfunctioning and one could just slide them open. The layout of the two doors was the following. 
One was looking towards the garden, the second one was between the patio and the rest of the house. This meant someone could not only get inside the patio from outside, but also in the rest of the house. After this discovery, I called my friend Amy, and we agreed I would find a locksmith. Amy's family's financial situation isn't at its peak, so depending on the price, either only the door leading to the garden, either both doors would get fixed. But the price was reasonable, thus the locksmith lady could change both locks. The patio was then perfectly sealed. However, according to her, the glass door leading to the garden was weak, and one could easily open it, if motivated. But since the glass door between the patio and the rest of the house was safe, I did not mind that remark. One could have as much fun as they pleased in that patio as long as I was safe in my house. After that, in a successful second checkup, I was happy to move in. The first days were a bit scary, but since I was careful with doors and the house's surroundings were so peaceful and lovely, it quickly became bliss to live there. I was heating myself with a fireplace, eating good food, breathing fresh air. I felt very free and happy. Only I had to notice a small, odd detail in the very first day. A third glass door was not locking anymore. I got very surprised since I checked so carefully every single door during my checkup. This third door was right next to the one I got repaired between the patio and the house. So this meant that the patio was not perfectly sealed anymore, but fine, I thought. All the doors leading to the outside were still locked, so no need to worry. I quickly moved on since I felt so happy there. I did not want any useless fear to bother me. I came to the conclusion I must have missed it, and I was a bit ashamed that I got Amy's family to spend money on two locks, whereas it should have been three because of my carelessness. After two wonderful months living a dream, mostly on my own since all my childhood friends moved out from the village, a friend came to visit me. We spent some time outside, and we had a drink at my place before I drove him back to his village about an hour away. While we were leaving my house, he even emphasized how meticulous I was with closing all the shutters behind ourselves. I told him it was key for me to feel so good at in there. I was back home at around 10 p.m. I entered my perfectly sealed house and locked the door behind myself. While turning the key, out of the blue, sudden and intense goosebumps ran all over my scalp. I had never experienced such a feeling, and I was not even aware that the human body could get goosebumps onto the scalp. With that came a very instinctive feeling of danger and being on my guard. I felt all of this so intensely that I was not able to not ignore it, yet I knew that my house was kept perfectly closed. So I stayed cautious, but I walked through the entrance and came into the kitchen. Here on the floor was laying a rectangular plastic bag. It was small and blue on the orange floor. I was surprised I recognized it being a plastic bag to be filled with water to make ice cubes. It had nothing to do here. I had already seen these bags earlier. Once I was looking for freezer bags to put my food and I mistook them. I knew they were stored in a drawer at the very other side of the kitchen, and I knew we did not use them nor anything from that drawer with my friend earlier. This uncanny discovery confirmed my gut feeling, and I began to feel very uneasy. I sent a picture to my friend asking if he had touched or used these. He said, no, keep me in touch. I grabbed a knife and I started walking in the living room. Usually, whenever I would feel afraid in this house, I would go on a little checkup tour in every room to reassure myself. That is what I had in mind at that moment, but this gut feeling was literally forbidding my body to do so. Instead, it walked me out of the house. I drove to my mother's place and slept there. A few days after, during a sunny afternoon, my mother and I came back and did a checkup thoroughly. Nothing was missing or broken, and no one was there. Everything stayed exactly as I had left it. With such evidence, I came to the conclusion it must have been my friend who, by accident, took those bags and forgot about it. Then they must have fallen on the floor while I opened the door, or something like that. I came back in and kept living a dream in this beautiful place for another month after that. Then something else happened. For a few days, I had been hearing unusual noises which began to scare me, so I decided it was time for a checkup.
It was around 9 p.m. I began going in every room, looking under every bed. Downstairs, all clear. I walked upstairs, opened the first bedroom, and surprise, the light was on. This caused me a small flinch. I never go to these rooms upstairs, and they remain closed all the time. Nevertheless, I walk towards the wardrobe, but before opening it, I get a second flinch as an unknown object is now laying on top of the furniture. I open. Nobody. I close, and I look at the object. It is an elongated black fabric sheath, rather big, with a hook to carry it on a belt. A terrifying idea crosses my mind that it may be a knife sheath, but I brush it off as I don't need my imagination to get crazy in such a situation. I finished my checkup, but despite nobody being found, I could not help but feeling weird about the sheath and the light. I went to sleep at my mother's place that night, too. The day after I checked with my friend Amy, no family member came into the house while I was away, nor they recognized this object as belonging to any of them. I dropped it at the police station, and according to them, it is likely a hunting knife sheath indeed. Then I started thinking again at this patio's third door. It had been coming in my mind for some weeks, but I had been dismissing the idea to avoid unnecessary fear. Reflecting back at my thorough entrance checkup, it is very unlikely that I would have missed a door. As well, the locksmith had changed the lock of the door right next to this one, and even stared at it to see how a well-functioning lock looked like. With Amy, we had first imagined that an old airband tenant could have made a copy of the keys, and the locks had to be chained. But more and more, I was sure the person was coming in the house from the patio. Another locksmith came and looked at the third door's lock, she said. Ah, yes, indeed. The lock part screwed on the door frame, where the lock embeds itself, had been screwed off. She also checked the door leading to the garden her colleague had pointed out as easy to open. She said, Ah, yes, that's obvious. I left the house for good after that. I believe a person had their little habits in this house, using the way I shut when I arrived, and they made sure to be able to reach inside the place despite my changes. Thinking that all this time I was living my life peacefully, reasoning with myself not to be scared, that the place was safe and locked, it actually was not. This happened at Yosemite National Park. I found myself face to face with the inexplicable. As a park ranger named John, my job often led me deep into the woods, but nothing could have prepared me for the mysteries hidden within those ancient trees. It all began when I stumbled upon an old dilapidated cabin tucked away in a forgotten corner of the forest. The cabin was weathered by time, its wood worn and splintered, and yet there was an undeniable allure to its desolation. With a mixture of curiosity and trepidation, I pushed open the creaking door and stepped into a forgotten past. The interior was musty and filled with a sense of abandonment. Broken furniture and tattered remnants of what had once been a home littered the floor. But it was the discovery of a journal tucked beneath a decaying mattress that sent shivers down my spine. The pages were yellowed and brittle, and as I read the words scrawled upon them, I was drawn into a tale of horror that had unfolded decades before. The journal belonged to a former park ranger who had vanished without a trace. His entries chronicled his patrols deep within the park's woods, where he had encountered an unknown predator, an entity that defied the natural order and filled him with unspeakable dread. The description he provided was hauntingly vivid, etching an image in my mind that I would never forget. The creature he had encountered had overlong arms that hung nearly to its feet, tipped with claws that stretched an astonishing eight inches from its long-haired fingers. Its entire body was covered in a glistening silver fur that seemed to catch the light in an otherworldly way, and its feet, massive and hairy like those of a giant, ended in size 35 human-like feet. The most disconcerting feature, however, was its head, resembling that of a grizzly bear but with a shorter, deeply scarred snout the creature bore the marks of battles with beings even larger and more fearsome than itself. Yet despite this fearsome exterior, its piercing blue eyes exuded a sense of ancient wisdom and experience. 
The journal entry recounted a terrifying battle between the former ranger and this enigmatic creature. The details of the confrontation were lost, the pages bearing the remnants of some struggle that had torn them from their binding. As I held those brittle sheets in my hands, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was entangled in a web of darkness that had been spun long before my time. As the sun dipped below the horizon and the shadows lengthened within the cabin, I couldn't help but wonder if the creature described in those pages was still out there, lurking in the depths of the forest. Did it truly kill the former ranger, or had he somehow managed to survive and escape the horrors that had pursued him? The nights that followed were restless, plagued by dreams of those piercing blue eyes and the terror that they held. I patrolled the woods with a newfound unease. My senses heightened, searching for any sign of the silver-furred creature that had haunted my thoughts. The mysteries of the abandoned cabin and the journal entries continued to unravel in unexpected ways as I delved deeper into the history of the park and the legend that had whispered through the trees for generations. With each step, I felt as though I was peeling back the layers of a reality that had remained hidden from the world, a reality that threatened to consume me whole. And so, amidst the towering trees and the haunting calls of unseen creatures, I found myself entangled in a chilling tale of the unknown, a tale that blurred the lines between legend and reality, and that left me wondering whether some nightmares are rooted in truths far more terrifying than we dare to imagine. Back in high school, my friend's family had a break-in. This family lived in a rural area, and their land was a little tough to find. Most people got lost trying to find it the first time, and usually they'd need to send someone to the road to flag down anyone that might be looking for them. Law enforcement, pizza guy, guests, etc. Some guy had broken into one of the sheds and had possibly stolen something, so they had called the police in the middle of the night. This particular night, they didn't want to send anyone to the road because they thought the burglar was armed and possibly still in the area. The police seemed to have found their land easily and went about their business for the night, investigating the shed and sweeping the property. They found the guy hiding in the barn and arrested him, open and shut case. Homeless transient that nabbed some tools from the shed. Once they were wrapping up, one of them said it was okay to call the lady that flagged them down at the entrance to their land back to the house. The family hadn't sent anyone to the road. I've always been an avid hunter, spending most of my free time out in the woods. I have hunted everything from deer to turkeys and even tried my luck at trapping. However, nothing could have prepared me for what I experienced one spring morning 15 years ago. I was turkey hunting on my family's property along the Grand River in Ionia County, Michigan. The birds had flown down from the roost and gone in the opposite direction of where they usually went, making it challenging to track them down. Despite my efforts, I couldn't get them to come to any calls. Frustrated, I decided to take a quick nap and leaned against a big oak tree. It was a beautiful day, and the warmth of the sun felt good on my skin. I must have drifted off because I woke up to the sound of the strangest roaring sound I have ever heard. It was like nothing I had ever experienced before, and it sounded like it was right on top of me. I was instantly filled with fear, thinking that some creature was going to tear me to pieces. I held my 12-gauge tightly, ready to defend myself. The sound came again, and this time it was directly overhead. I looked up to see a hot air balloon above the treetops with a blonde woman firing the burner and an elderly couple looking like they were having the time of their lives. Feeling relieved, I let out a deep breath and chuckled at my reaction. It was then that I heard something else, something in the distance, and it didn't sound like any animal I knew. I froze, unsure of what to do. I listened carefully, and the sound became louder and more distinct. It was then that I saw it, a Sasquatch, at first. I couldn't believe my eyes, thinking it was a bear, but as it came closer, I could see it was something else. It stood over eight feet tall and was covered in dark hair. 
Its eyes met mine, and for a moment we just stared at each other. Then it turned and walked away, disappearing into the woods. I sat there in shock, trying to make sense of what had just happened. For years I had heard stories about Sasquatches, but I had never believed them until that moment. It was a surreal experience that left me questioning what else was out there that we didn't know about. From that day on, I always made sure to keep my eyes and ears open, knowing that anything was possible when it came to the mysteries of the forest. I first met my wife some 22 years ago. Shortly thereafter, I was warmly welcomed into the annual family deer camp. They must have seen the hook in my mouth that escaped me at the time because they were very guarded about access to the property and no one outside of the family hunted it with rare exception. One of the first things her uncle proudly showed me was the family collection of stone points. I recall counting at least 70, five distinct pieces, if not more. I am by no means an expert on the subject, but from the limited research I've done, the collection represented a broad range of time from the Neolithic to the Woodland Indian period. I was, of course, curious why he would show me these points prior to my first opening day of deer season with my soon-to-be-in-laws. The question was answered when he told me I'm showing you this so you understand there are things you won't understand at times when you're out there. I had no idea what this meant until one turkey season some four or five years later. Mind you, I had archery and gun hunted the property many times in those first few years with good success. I had never been truly scared when on stand before daylight or waiting for dark to climb down so I wouldn't scare the deer lingering in the fields. Sure, I was creeped out a few times due to my own imagination, but nothing like what I experienced at April dusk. I had been out for a couple hours before dark, trying to pattern the birds and see where they were roosting. My plan was to find that out and come out the next morning, ready to bust a nice gobbler right after fly down. Of course, the birds ended up roosting on the far southwest corner of the property, about as far you could get from where my truck was parked on the north end, near the old stagecoach, Ford area, just south of the house. The sun had just set as I neared the Ford area. I was maybe 200 yards from the ford when I saw what I thought was a light on a boat close to the opposite riverbank. As I got closer, I heard splashing and saw the light bob back and forth. No big deal until I heard the distinct sound of horse leather and metal bits and pieces clinking and squeaking, along with a low voice alternately calling what sounded like gee and haw. Before you ask, how do I know that what that means and sounds like. I grew up on a farm, and my father had a team of ponies that he used in pulling competitions. I also had two uncles that had Belgian draft horses they showed at county fairs and pulled wagons in what seemed like every small town's festival parade for 40 miles around. I can't tell you how many times growing up I saw pony pulling competitions or tossed candy out of a wagon in a parade. Back to the lights and sounds. I didn't really process it at first. I kept thinking those are weird sounds to be coming from someone night fishing. My truck was parked about 125 yards more or less due west from the ford on the two track that led up the hill and out to the road. As I got closer, the light and sound seemed as if they were crossing the river, heading toward the back area of the house. Old stagecoach stop. The closer I got, the dimmer the light got, and the quieter the splashing voices and creaking and clinking became. I don't know when the light went out or the sounds died away, because at this point I had stopped walking and was running at a pace that would shame Forrest Gump. I made it to my truck in record time, started it up, and flew up the two-track and out to the road, quivering like a scared child. There is a good-sized field, give or take 60 acres, along the river just south of the old ford. This field is longer than wide running north to south. More than a few stone points have been found in this field over the years. The entire area to this day is full of deer and turkey, and was probably even more so before white men. 
Heck, I'm sure there were elk, deer, wolves, and bear in abundance in those times when it was all forest. It was for sure fertile hunting ground, and people have been there for thousands of years. To this point, I have been remiss in pointing out the area across the river east of the property is a state game area. My wife's cousin is a solid guy. Let's call him Jay for these purposes. Jay, he's a hard-working family man. Serious when he needs to be and funny as hell in deer camp. I've never known him to exaggerate or stretch the truth. He relates a story when he was in high school and he and another cousin were tasked with dissing the big field along the river. They started on it one weeknight after dinner. It had been pretty dry and things were dusty. The way they went about it was he was on one tractor, slightly behind and to the side of the other cousin on his tractor going north and south. They did it this way so as to cover more ground and get it done quickly. Jay says they were about one-thread of the way through the field when the sun began to set. It was then he started to see in the tractor's headlights what he thought were the outlines of figures swirling in the dust, kicked up by the discus and the tractors. His first thought was his mind was just playing trick on him, so he ignored it until the next pass when he got about midfield and distinctly saw what appeared to be people with long hair dressed in what he described as native clothing. When he got to the end of the field, the other cousin had stopped his tractor and was climbing off. Jay stopped his tractor, got off, and went to see what the other cousin wanted. He said they both stood looking at each for a moment when they both said at the same time, Did you see anything weird in the dust? At which point they made a joint decision to haul ass out of the field and come back and finish the job during daylight on the weekend. I remember it like it was yesterday. May 9, 1981, the day that changed my life forever, the day I saw something that still haunts my dreams to this very day, the Sykesville Monster. I was walking my dog near the woods of Sykesville, Maryland, when I heard a rustling in the bushes. I peered into the darkness, straining my eyes to make out the figure that emerged. It was taller than any man I had ever seen, and it certainly wasn't human nor was it an ape. I instinctively dubbed it a Bigfoot, as that was the only way I could describe the creature before me. In the years since my encounter, I've made it my life's mission to uncover the truth behind what I saw that fateful day. The local police have no records of the incident, and all my attempts to find answers have been met with silence. One day in 2014, I received a phone call that would turn my world upside down. The man on the other end of the line claimed to be a former military contractor who had worked at a secret government facility in Harford County, Maryland. He told me a story of a mysterious building with a heavily reinforced door that had been damaged by something inside. Could it be that the creature I saw in Sykesville had escaped from this facility? Were there more of them? Was this somehow connected to the whispered rumors of a place called the Monkey House? Over the following years, I pieced together the story of the elusive monkey house near the Springfield Hospital Center. Locals believed it to be a facility where inmates laundered clothing and linens, but the level of security around the building raised more questions than answers. Eventually, the building was raised and a residential community sprouted in its place. I began to entertain the possibility that my Sykesville monster was an escaped experiment from this monkey house or the facility in Harford County. In my search for the truth, I reached out to other witnesses and investigated a surge of Bigfoot sightings at nearby Rock State Park and Gunpowder Falls State Park during the same period. As I dove deeper into this mystery, I found myself in a web of secrets and half-truths with more questions than answers. The sightings in the state parks, the monkey house, the damaged door, and the Harford County facility, were they all connected, or were they simply a series of coincidences? It's been over 40 years since my encounter with the Sykesville monster. I still don't have all the answers, and perhaps I never will. The search for answers continues, and I'll keep pressing on for as long as it takes because I know what I saw that day, and I won't rest until I find the truth behind the Sykesville monster.
One evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, I decided to go for a hike in the Santa Monica Mountains in Los Angeles. I wanted to clear my head, so I chose a five-mile loop that I could complete before nightfall. The cool air and the sounds of the forest enveloped me as I walked, and I felt at ease, enjoying the solitude of the trail. As I rounded a bend, I spotted another lone hiker approaching from the opposite direction. We were both moving at a steady pace, and as the distance between us grew smaller, I couldn't help but feel a sense of recognition. I squinted my eyes, trying to place the familiar face when it suddenly hit me like a lightning bolt. I knew this person. He was the actor who played James Gum, also known as Buffalo Bill in the movie Silence of the Lambs. My heart raced as the character's chilling persona flashed through my mind, and I couldn't help but feel a pang of fear. I knew he was just an actor, but the character he portrayed had left an indelible mark on my memory. We continued to approach each other, and as we got within three feet of one another, our eyes met. He must have seen the shock and recognition in my expression, for his eyes held a sad and resigned acknowledgement. Yes, I'm him. No, I'm not really a serial killer, despite knowing the truth. I couldn't shake the uneasy feeling that had settled in my chest. I walked briskly past him, my heart still pounding, and resisted the urge to glance back until I was a good one hundred yards down the trail. I finally stole a quick look over my shoulder, relieved to see that he had continued on his way, just another hiker enjoying the peacefulness of the mountains. The remainder of my hike was consumed by thoughts of that brief encounter. It was a stark reminder of how the characters' actors play can haunt them, and those who recognize them, long after the credits have rolled. As I completed the loop and headed back to my car, the last light of the day fading from the sky, I couldn't help but feel grateful that I had met an actor who had played such a memorable character, and not the character himself. I'm from the Netherlands, and this happened to me. It's quite long, sorry. I hope someone can help me out, because it's haunting me for years now. When I was younger, I always had this feeling someone was standing behind me, and I saw black shadows every morning. I stopped seeing them and moved on until this happened. I was 15, and I lived in some sort of mental hospital thing. One night, I saw this figure in the middle of my room against the wall. It was very tall, like nine feet or something, very skinny, like you could see his ribs and spine. It had a gray, blackish skin. He had big black eyes and a lurking smile with sharp teeth. He had very long limbs, arms, legs, feet, hands. I remember he had a chain around his neck, and he had little horns. He was very slow. In that time, I was in an abusive relationship, and I was very depressed. I left the mental institute and got back home. It seemed to haunt me every time I got into a new relationship. If I brought my girlfriend home, my behavior changed. I got grumpy, irritated, and if she gave me love, I got terrified. My whole body started to shake and talking was hard. When we broke up, everything was fine again, and I could leave it behind. After years, I started dating again, but the minute I brought someone home, it was like, nope, this doesn't feel right, and I got this overwhelming feeling again, even with friends sometimes. I tried to block this whole thing, but it's only possible if I stay alone. My sister saw him standing on the stairs to my room one day. She described it the same as how I saw him that one time, but he didn't do anything. She said he just stood there. After a while, I met this girl. She said she was spiritual and locked him in a spell jar after I got a panic attack again. We broke up, and it felt like something was missing. I saw the jar and immediately opened it. What could this be? That one time was the only time I saw him, but I feel his presence so now and then, plus it's like I could imagine him next to me. Sorry for the long message. I just hope someone can help. I'm not scared of him anymore, because he's harmless, so far as I know, it's just still in my mind. I had multiple theories what it could be like a lost soul or something. Thank you for your time, and hopefully I get a bit wiser.
It was a cold, crisp winter morning, and I decided to spend the day snowshoeing deep into the forest. The untouched snow blanketed the landscape, creating an eerily quiet and serene atmosphere. I reveled in the solitude, the crunch of my snowshoes on the fresh powder, the only sound breaking the silence. As I ventured further into the wilderness, I stumbled upon a small clearing. To my amazement, words were etched into the snow in the center of the clearing, per audacia et ignotum. I scanned the area expecting to see footprints or some other sign of human presence, but the snow... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, was undisturbed, as if the words had appeared by magic. My curiosity peaked. I took out my phone and searched for the meaning of the phrase. The closest translation I could find was through audacity towards the unknown. It sent a shiver down my spine, as if the words were a message meant just for me. I continued my hike, the phrase echoing in my mind. As I navigated the unfamiliar terrain, I realized that the words were pushing me to venture further into the unknown, to embrace the challenge of discovery. I felt a renewed sense of determination, an audacious spirit urging me to explore uncharted territory. The deeper I ventured into the woods, the more I discovered. I found a hidden waterfall, its icy waters cascading over frozen rocks. I stumbled upon an abandoned cabin, its time-worn walls whispering tales of bygone days. The words in the snow had inspired me to embrace the unknown, and I was rewarded with the beauty and wonder of the forest. As the sun began to set, I reluctantly turned back, making my way through the snowy landscape toward home. The words per audacia ad ignotum stayed with me, a reminder of the day's adventures and the thrill of stepping into the unknown. When I finally returned to the clearing where I'd first encountered the message, the snow had begun to fall, gently erasing the words from the pristine surface. I felt a sense of gratitude for having been the one to discover them, and for the impact they had on my day. As I made my way home through the darkening forest, I realized that life is full of unexpected messages and hidden beauty waiting to be discovered by those willing to venture into the unknown with audacity and courage. I remember my uncle telling me stories about his time as a personal bodyguard to President Harry S., Truman in 1947. One story in particular has always stood out in my mind, and it is a story that I have never shared with anyone until now. It was July 1947, and my uncle received a call from the president himself. He was instructed to prepare for a secret mission and to meet the president at a discreet location near the White House. When my uncle arrived, he found President Truman disguised as a member of the press, ready to embark on a top-secret journey. With only a few trusted aides by their side, they snuck out of the White House and headed for Roswell, New Mexico. The president had insisted on visiting the site of the alleged flying saucer crash personally to ensure that the incident was covered up from the public. As they approached Roswell, the tension in the air was palpable. My uncle knew that they were about to uncover something extraordinary, and he couldn't shake the feeling that their lives would never be the same again. Upon their arrival, they were met by Major Easley, who had been tasked with handling the crash site. 
as they stood there, surrounded by the wreckage of what appeared to be a flying saucer. The president demanded answers. Major Easley explained that the situation was under control and that nothing from the crash would remain. In order to maintain the secrecy of their visit, a double of President Truman was used back in Washington, D.C., ensuring that no one would suspect that the president was missing. It was an elaborate operation that left no room for error. As they prepared to leave Roswell, my uncle could see the worry in President Truman's eyes. He knew that the truth of what they had seen would have to be hidden from the world, and that the burden of that secret would weigh heavily on both of them. Years later, my uncle would recount this story to me with a mix of wonder and sadness. He never forgot the incredible events he had witnessed in Roswell, and he often wondered what might have been if the truth had been revealed to the world. As for me, I have carried this secret with me ever since, unsure of what to do with it. But now, as I share this story with you, I can't help but feel a sense of relief, as if a weight has been lifted from my shoulders. The truth about President Truman's visit to Roswell may never be fully understood, but at least now the story can be told. We live in an older house that my dad remodeled about 10 years ago. The house is about 60 years old, and we have had a few over the last year. Or I guess I just notice it more that we have sun, and my head stays on a swivel all the time. Just little things like a voice or a noise that we can never figure out what caused it. Heard someone cough one night, looked at my wife, and she asked if it was me. Have had cups fall off the counter. The ones that freak me out is when the dog starts barking and I try to put it up to the fact that labs are scared of their own shadow. But about three months ago, I was up putting my son back into bed. My dog was standing in the door. Way wife was in bed, I heard footsteps walking down the hall and my son asked if mommy was up, so I said yes. Then the dog turns to face the hall with teeth bared and barking like she's about to rip. Something apart which is odd for her. I look down the hall, ready to deal with whatever she is freaking out over and see nothing. I look in the bedroom, and my wife is still in bed. I didn't sleep that night or a few after that. Funny part is ever since this ugly stray cat showed up about six weeks ago, it has all stopped. I guess that cats are good for something other than killing field mice. Ronnie Smith, an ex-professional hunter-photographer, been to Zir in Zimbabwe, Africa, was among a group of five hunters on the Warm Springs Indian Reservation, Oregon, last June 12-13. They were about seven miles from Blue Lake, hunting south of the road, but away from an area of active, clear-cut logging. The plan was to drive game down a mile-deep ravine by shooting rifles from the top and three of the hunters would intercept the game as they descended from the ridges. They were watching three groups of elk, and one bull started up an almost non-existent game trail when they heard snorting and noises of something and a great deal of pain. Thinking an archer had shot the very large bull elk, they noticed large, furry feet going way up and over the bull's back while watching with their binoculars and rifle scopes from about three, four hundred yards. At about 1.30 p.m., they watched in amazement as a two-minute battle between a Bigfoot and a large bull elk commenced. Why the Bigfoot picked the largest bull, they don't know, as a smaller bull and several cows were nearby. They had the impression that the creature knew what the men were doing driving the game and had selected the ambush site deliberately. The elk had hooked the Bigfoot in the side, throwing him up and over his shoulder. They estimated the Bigfoot weighed around 900 pounds. One of the men had a camera and started snapping photos, says he'll bring them in, of the badly wounded Bigfoot bleeding from the side where the elk had hooked him. The Bigfoot attacked the elk again, digging in with long nails or claws on the right foot and tearing open the stomach area on the elk, grabbing the elk. It started biting in that area until the elk went down as he held on to it. The Bigfoot tore off the areas it wanted, 
a rib and ham section and left holding the elk portion with one hand in its wound with the other. It had curiously turned the elk over so that the exposed section was face down to the mud and dirty snow. The Bigfoot was described as having long, shaggy brown hair, a very human-like face, but with very bushy eyebrows and having a skinny waist. He wasn't sure of height, tall, with a rounded high crown on its head. They did retrieve the remains of the elk for their own use, plus saving the section of hide that the Bigfoot bit into that Ronnie says he'll bring in. Wanted money for his stuff. Skepticals on please. When I was younger, we were at my older brother's birthday party at one of our state parks. Where we were at, there is a little R with some benches. Beside it, there was a decent-sized playground. Off to the side, there is a trail that leads down to the lake. This is where my sighting happened. I walked away from everybody to the start of the trail. I was maybe a 100 yards away from everyone. I made it down the trail about 50 feet, and I see a something coming barreling up the hill. At first, I thought it was a bear running up the hill because it was on all fours. It got onto the middle of the trail and stood up up on two legs. I thought maybe a bear because they are known to stand up on two legs. I look up at the face, and that's when I realized it was not a bear. It was there for maybe ten seconds before it turned around and ran down the hill. That is the only time I have ever seen one, and am not sure if I want to see another. I was tree planting near Smithers, British Columbia, about an hour and a half into the mountains on dirt roads. I tried my best to just forget this incident even occurred, as I simply could not find a way to rationalize what happened. I don't care who believes me or not, by the way, but what happened is this. It was almost midnight, and I was trying to sleep in my tent. My tent was near a bunch of standing dead trees that would creak when the wind picked up. A very loud and distinct sound. Now, on this particular night, it was dead, silent, and still. I started to hear sticks cracking and steps being taken that slowly got closer over the course of about 15 minutes. It was loud enough, I was certain, there was a bear approaching my tent. It got so close that it had to be no further than 15 feet from my tent. Cracking sticks and padding around the forest floor, I decided to yell out very loudly. Silence! I was answered with nothing but deafening silence. No sound of the creature fleeing or doing anything at all. I sat in silence, too scared to move, trying to rationalize to no conclusion. About twenty minutes of dead silence later, I heard the eeriest, unnatural, and unexplainable noise. It was the exact same timber and volume, and just basically the same sound as the trees outside creaking. But instead of being a regular creak, it began, and then held the exact same note of creak for a full five seconds, or even longer. It was like an unnatural drone. That was obviously not a tree creaking. There was not a hint of wind or any other trees creaking as per usual. I got barely any sleep and the next day was tough and I just had to forget about it. I didn't ever make the connection that skinwalkers are known to imitate sounds like that until a few weeks ago. This happened in July 2022. If anyone has had a similar experience or has any ideas of what this could have been, I'd love to hear. Let me begin by saying that I am currently on mobile and this may or may not end up in a confusing format. Another important thing I should add is that my parents still, to this day, do not know about the events that are about to unfold and only three people know the very brief summary of this story. Congratulations on being the first to know. At the beginning of my fifth grade year, I was ten years old. I lived in the north suburbs of a major city in the United States, and it was a generally peaceful and quiet town. Not much happened in my neighborhood, and there were plenty of kids, but I had always been a bit of a paranoid kid, and my parents wanted to keep me on a short leash. 
That being said, I always had a cell phone and a walkie-talkie on me at all times. Cell phone to help contact anyone by any means and a walkie-talkie to contact my parents very, very quickly. Early September, circa 2007, I was always riding my bike through my neighborhood and on my bike path that wound around the forest and through a park near my house. Off of this path, there was a cute little creek that on this particular day, I decided to stop and watch. I threw some rocks in and listened to the noise it made and watched the wildlife. It hadn't been more than ten minutes when a middle-aged Mexican man had rode up on his bike and attempted to strike up a conversation with me. Hey, what are you up to? He asked in a very thick accent. I was a very awkward and shy little thing. I was always very cautious of interaction, and I was far too naive to understand what was going on at this point. I thought that maybe this guy was a ranger and I was about to get in trouble for disturbing the wildlife, so I very awkwardly responded, Oh, oh, just throwing rocks in. I love watching the ripples. And he nodded his head and we stood in silence for about a minute. Now the alarms in my head start going off. He was a ranger or any authority figure. A head nod shouldn't have been a response or something along those lines. He motioned his hand in the direction of the forest, began to mount his bike, and in his thick accent said, follow me. I wasn't dumb and my heart was pounding. I quickly pulled out my cell phone and pretended to read a text from my parents and said that I had to go home. He insisted I go with him and tried to prevent me from leaving, but I pedaled away down the bike path. As stated before, I was no dummy. Knowing fairly well I knew this creep could easily follow me home, I didn't go to my house. This particular path ran east and west and ended about one block east and was right between two houses. The very last house on this path on the north side belonged to my best friend at the time, Damaris. I rode the path to her house and hurriedly knocked on her door. I didn't have the heart to tell her what was going on, so I told her I was out and just wanted to play. She was letting me inside when I looked back out and noticed the same man in a truck cruise by, smiling and waving. It shook me up quite a bit, but I figured that, since this wasn't my house, he'd never see me again. Damara's house had a glass storm door on the outside of the actual door, so they'd leave the actual door open, but leave the storm door shut so no one could get in, but we could still see out. Imagine our surprise when... Not even an hour later, the same man with the same truck cruised by slowly again, but this time with a buddy, another middle-aged Mexican man. They both smiled, but the original man was pointing me out to his buddy. I was really panicking at this point, but kept my cool as to not freak out Damaris and her family. That night I had stayed over at her house past dark, so my parents would have no choice but drive to pick me up. Instead of ride home alone, things returned to normal for about a week. I hadn't seen that man or that truck at all, and I don't think he ever did see my real house. But when school started the next Monday, things got weird. I was at my bus stop before anyone else because I was a punctual little shit. There it was. The same truck came rolling by. The same tan-colored, rusty, ugly pickup truck with the same man. I began to panic, but I was completely unsure of what to do. I just kind of paced and backed further and further away from that side of the street. As he neared the stop sign, I could tell he wasn't paying attention to me. I don't know if he was ignoring me or just didn't recognize me or what, but he wasn't paying attention to me. The windows in his truck were down, and I could smell the inside. It was disgusting. There are no words to describe the putrid odor that leaked through those windows and spilled for twenty yards to my nostrils. I noticed that inside he was doing something strange with his hands. It was a strange juggling motion with his hand, and there was a very strange white liquid being sprayed around in the front seat. But he ignored me, and that's all that mattered to me at that point. I was safe, and that's how things carried on for about two months after that incident. Near the end of this man's strange daily drive, by rituals I remember saying something vague to a teacher about it, and I had been asked a few questions and then left alone about it. The next week, as suddenly as it had began, the drive-by stopped. 
I was absolutely relieved and happy that I didn't have to see this man ever again, but there was something uneasy about the way everything seemed to stop. It wasn't until I was about 14 or 15 that I had learned what it was that he was doing in his car every morning. He had been masturbating every time he had passed me. I don't know whatever became of that man, nor do I care. I am lead to believe that he was found out and locked up in jail for the rest of his life, and I certainly do hope that is the case. Whatever it is that happened to him, I hope it was awful. Okay, so back in 2008, when I lived in Kentucky, we went for a weekend up at a campground about two hours from our house. Twin Knobs was my favorite place to go all through childhood. It had a little beach set up right at the lake where a good portion of the visible water was buoyed for swimmers. This particular time, my cousin Anna had come along with us. We were swimming out to the border when we spotted this old man. Not thinking anything of it, we continued to wade around. I looked back and saw the old man swimming under the boundary line, then popping back up to laugh like a lunatic. I gave my cousin the look, and we made our way back to shore as unnoticeable as possible. I looked behind me to see the freak with his mouth underwater, following us insanely close. I yelped, and we made a mad dash to my mom on the shore. We ran over to tell the lifeguard. He was about 18 or so and looked almost hungover. We pointed out the guy who was still in the water, and he told us he couldn't do anything about it because he hadn't seen him. Just then, the guy came out of the water in a speedo and laid down on the sand. The lifeguard laughed and said old Coot thinks he's hot. We rolled our eyes and went back to my mom, carefully avoiding the sight of the freak. We got lunch and then walked up the hill to leave. Just as we got to the car, Anna looked over and saw the old guy on the ground, naked, he was sticking his hand under a car tire. He got up and did this about three more times to different cars until he came back up with a key. My mom was on the phone with 911 while we all hid behind a random SUV. He unlocked the car and sat inside. It was a silver Volvo with a sorority sticker on the back. He got out of the car with a camera and took pictures of people's license plates, including ours. He got back in and sped away, out of the parking lot. We had to stay an extra two hours at the ranger station so my mom could help fill out the police report. And that concludes my experience with a lunatic. This was last year I was living with my grandmother at the time. We had no neighbor to the left because we were at the end of a street but on the right was a man named Rick. Rick always gave me bad vibes. He would do weird shit like sing really, really loudly. So loudly we could clearly hear it into our house. He also had about ten pit bulls in his garage, which was weird in itself. But not once did I see him take even one on a walk. Poor dogs. This is the thing that got to me the most. One of my friends that had moved to Long Beach kind of along with me came over to chill one day. She parks her car and I run out to greet her because I'm annoying like that. And she sees Rick loading something into his car and she goes, Oh my God, I know him. That's the creepy guy who hit on me and insert friend's name here while we were walking out of a store. Apparently he has told them that he had just moved to the area and needed cute girls to hang out with. That bugged me because Rick had lived in that house for at least five years. I confronted him about it one day, and he was just super creepy about it, so I walked away and sort of let it be. I moved away eventually, but just a few weeks ago I was browsing the internet when I found an article about the guy who played the Red Power Ranger murdering his roommate. At the bottom of the article showed a picture of the man. And what do you know? Creepy ass Rick's face. A couple of years ago, I decided to take my large dog, a 175-pound Rottweiler Mastiff, for a walk at a nearby state park. 
The park had many trails, but I chose the less traveled ones to avoid frequent interruptions from curious people wanting to pet my dog or ask questions. We walked across the top of the dam and through the woods, crossing a large valley and entering another set of woods. We didn't encounter any other walkers along the way. In the second set of woods, the trail was narrow, and I walked behind my dog. The trees were dense, and the vegetation along the edges of the trail reached my shoulders. As we approached a bird watching Stan, my dog suddenly stopped, growling and baring his teeth. He became increasingly agitated. Looking like a scene from Cujo, I couldn't see anything that could have triggered his reaction. After calming him down, I managed to drag him to the edge of the woods. As I stood there catching my breath, I spotted a man dressed in black creeping out of the woods. Feeling alarmed, I reported him to the ranger service. They caught him shortly after, hiding in the woods with a hunting knife and duct tape. In February last year, me and a bunch of friends went camping at Moss Park, a county park to the southeast of Orlando. This county park is on a forested island with two large lakes to the east and west and two extensive nature preserves to the north and south. We were just hanging around the campfire, drinking beers and smoking pot. Around 11 p.m., me and three of the friends decided to go for a walk into the nature preserve to the south. Our destination was a dock on a pond cove with a large lake to the west. I normally am not the type to go walking around in the woods in the dark. I do a lot of hiking, but always during the daytime hours. I guess being slightly inebriated and with friends made me braver than usual, so we went trekking off into the woods in the dark with nothing but a flashlight to protect us. At first the trail was taking us through a large swamp, and nothing felt out of the ordinary. Next, the trail entered a thick pine forest. Here, things began to feel a bit different, and in retrospect, it was very quiet, but I wasn't concerned at the time. We got to the dock and started shining the flashlight around, hoping to see some alligators. There were no alligators, no bugs, and no sign of life in general. I thought it was a bit odd, but again, I wasn't too concerned. Then all of a sudden, something changed. Within a few seconds, all four of us said something along the lines of, Do you feel that? Something all of a sudden felt very wrong. Then one of my friends said, Listen to how quiet it is. We all shut up and listened. It was insanely quiet. Not a single frog, insect, or bird. Even the wind had stopped. It was the quietest thing I had ever heard in my life. It was like we were inside a vacuum. Remembering this lack of sound gives me chills to this day. Next, we all remarked how cold it was getting. I started getting goosebumps. It felt like the barometric pressure had just plummeted. At this point, we all agreed that we needed to get the F out of here. There was a strong feeling of impending danger, like something wanted us to leave a SAP, and we would be in big trouble if we didn't. I was able to feel that all of this energy was coming from across the pond towards us. I think all of my friends could feel this as well because we were all focused on the pond. Nobody was paying any attention to the dark woods behind us. It felt like a charge of energy was running through my body, and I could feel exactly the direction that this energy was coming from. We all agreed that we had to leave and started walking back at a fast pace. The bad feelings were still present while we were walking back through the pine forest. One of my friends actually started crying. I was not too worried, though. I felt like we would be okay as long as we kept walking. Once the trail exited the pine forest and entered the swamp, all the bad feelings were immediately lifted. It was like we had crossed some sort of threshold and everything felt fine again. I think we may have been run off by a Sasquatch because I've seen them myself on a few occasions, and I've heard that they can put these bad feelings into people, but we didn't see anything, so I can't say for sure what it was. About 15 minutes after getting back to the campfire where the rest of our friends were, we heard what sounded like someone or something whacking a tree with a big stick one time just across the campground. This may have been related to what happened earlier. The campground host immediately got up and started walking around with a light. 
as if they were equally surprised by this sound, or possibly this kind of thing had happened before. I had to leave the next morning to go to work, but some of my friends stuck around and went back to the dock during the daylight hours, and they reported that nothing was out of the ordinary this next time. I still go hiking a lot, but I am not planning on doing any more hiking in the dark. It felt like we were in legitimate danger, like whatever it was could have made us disappear if we didn't leave SAP. So, a little bit of background, I am from Spain, with family from Italy. This story is 100% true. Me, my dad, and my brother are all three familiar with camping, nature, etc. We don't get scared easily, and we aren't really superstitious or whatever. Also, excuse me for any grammatical errors I might make in this, English is not my first language. Now the story. This happened in 2010, I believe. I was eight years old then, and we were on summer vacation in Italy, in the region of Tuscany, where some of our family is from. We, brother, dad, and me, were hiking in the country, far away from any towns or any other form of big civilization. We were not very familiar with this route, though. All of a sudden, we stumble across what looks like an abandoned Tuscan farmhouse. Not very big, though. We all look around and yell, asking whether there was someone. It looked very abandoned. The door was missing, plants all growing over the place. Safe to say, no one lived there. So since we love adventure, and it didn't seem like a bad plan to do with two children, we decide to take a look at the place, as we are going to enter the house. Out of nowhere comes a barn owl flying out of the house. It was dark in there. So we had a quick scare, but nothing too bad. It's just an owl, right? Now we enter the house, and we just find the typical stuff you would imagine to find when you're in an abandoned house. Cutlery and plates on the ground, a candle, some old paintings. Nothing really valuable, though. Now we see an old wooden ladder that leads up to a hole in the ceiling. It was not a very big hole. My father couldn't fit, to give you an idea. He is like six feet two. And so, since I was the oldest of the two kids, I would go up and tell them what I saw upstairs. Now I went up the ladder and got in a room where I could see barely because the windows were covered with wood boards, so I could make out some stuff by a few sun rays that would get in through the gaps. I could see graffiti signs, typical for an abandoned house, right? And I saw another room, so I told my father and brother that I would advance to there and see what was up. As I opened the rotten wooden door, I immediately stood still. A disgusting, rotten smell penetrated my nose. I almost had to throw up. I wanted to know what caused this bad smell. Then, in the corner of the room, I could make out a silhouette. I got closer to investigate what it could be, and I could barely make out that it was the lifeless body of a dog. A big dog. In spicy detail, the body was skinned. No fur, nothing. Just pure, rotting flesh in the shape of a big dog. I don't remember how long I just stood there, frozen. But I woke up from my shock with the screams of my brother, because apparently the barn owl had gotten back inside the house and it almost hit him. So my dad yelled at me to come back and I gladly obeyed. When I got back downstairs, I told him what I had seen, and the look he gave me was that of a man who is scared to shit, but doesn't want to admit it in order to not scare his young kids. He just got close to my ear and whispered to run. We ran out of that place and never got back or even close to the route leading to it. Now, it might not be very scary compared to other stories on this page or very backwoods related, but I... I thought I'd give it a go since someone said they wanted to hear stories from outside the northern American sphere. It was still in the country part, and there were woods around it, though. I am sorry in advance for my English. 